The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen, church. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book in the New Testament, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter number 1. While you're turning there, just a little bit of uh, participation today, if you would, and you can help me preach. So, uh, somebody, uh, somebody just shout out uh, uh, yes or no. If you, were, uh, if you were working with a first-year violinist, would you buy them a Stradivarius? No. no. Oh, some of my folks in here are like, are you speaking in tongues, Pastor? What's going on? No, Stradivarius, very expensive, very few made, right? You, you, you certainly wouldn't buy a first-year violinist a Stradivarius. Let me ask you this. Anybody in here today would say, listen, if my child or if my grandchild just said to me, you know what, I've never done it before, but I think maybe just for the next few months I'd like to pick up the discipline of playing the piano, would you buy them a Steinway? No? All right, somebody, somebody raise your voice. Now, now why, why, wouldn't, why wouldn't you buy a Steinway for a, uh, a, a budding pianoist or a Stradivarius for a first-year violinist? Why, why would you not buy that for them? Well, they don't need it? All right, somebody clarify that. Why, 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 why wouldn't they need it? It's too expensive, right? And mom and dad don't have the bank account to get that. All right, well, let's, let's move a little bit deeper beyond just them not needing it and, and maybe the expense of it. Uh, what's going on there? Why, why, would, you, why would you be hesitant to, to buy something of such immense value for somebody like that? Tell me. Short, Bill Bailey, short attention span. Yes, right? Because children will all, I want to play the piano, and they want to play the piano, and then they, I want to play the flute, I want to play the tuba, and I want to play this. And, right? what, what else? Why, why else would you not do that? It's it, say again? It's a master. Oh, oh, my goodness. All right. Well, did you write the sermon today, lady? What's going on? Yes, yes. It's a master's instrument, right? I think overall we would want to say that, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't you say that they, they just would not be able to appreciate? They wouldn't be able to appreciate the value of an instrument like that and the craftsmanship and the time and the effort that has been put into that. They just would not be able to appreciate the instrument. Not that they couldn't play it, not that they couldn't work at it, not that it wouldn't be beautiful or that they wouldn't enjoy it, but underlying all of that is just something, a, a simple lack of appreciation for something so grand and wonderful and marvelous. And so as we begin today in First Peter, I simply want to just ask this question today in the introduction. I would like for you to ask yourself this question, is this sermon for you? Can you appreciate the glory of God and the goodness that He gives to His people? Is this sermon for you, or are you too much of a beginner for it to really sink in and have great value in your life? I call your attention to the context. It is faithful, gospel-proclaiming Christians who are struggling in a harsh and an uncertain world, and God gives them this wonderful piece of blessing through the Apostle Peter. Now, notice the verses now that I have your attention with me. Notice these verses, verse 1 and 2 simply today. Uh, Simon, or some of your translations might say Simeon, why? Uh, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind 
as ours. I'm reading in the second letter. Let's get back here. This is much better. Peter, an apostle. Y'all are like, where is he going? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who reside as maybe uh, exiles or aliens or sojourners. I, I like the phrase sojourners, right? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who reside as aliens or sojourners scattered uh, throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by or in the sanctifying work of the Spirit of God, to or toward the obedience of Jesus Christ and being sprinkled with His blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. What a blessing. What a joy, what a rich blessing of God for our lives. But I want you to ask as we work our way down through this and we simply talk about good news for good news kind of people, I want, to, I want you to ask yourself, does the blessing and the good news and the joy and, and the affirmation that comes from these verses to this group of struggling, gospel-proclaiming uh, people who are in a harsh and an uncertain world, the encouragement that they get from this text, do you receive the same kind of encouragement or are you like that child that is sitting at a Steinway or a, a, a budding violinist that has a Stradivarius in his hands that you just can't quite understand the full blessing and the benefit and the joy and the comfort that comes because you're not a good news kind of believer. Join me in a word of prayer. Now, Father, I pray for these few moments of time that you'd help us to think clearly and carefully. I feel a weakness in my own soul, and so I ask that your spirit would just attend the hearts of every person today. Surely, Lord, every single week, you must preach. But I, I need some favor this morning, so help me to think carefully and clearly. And I pray for the folks that are under the sound of my voice today, that we would be as those people in the book of Acts who are pierced to the heart, that we would be comforted and encouraged and strengthened and blessed and at the same time deeply challenged and convicted by the word of the living God. And we shall thank you for all that you do in our hearts. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. I simply have two points today, so I promise you we'll be out by 3 o'clock, okay? Good news. The main idea of these two verses is simply good news for good news kind of people. You, you understand what I mean that? Right? Happy news, good news for those who are actually sharing the gospel. Believers who are actually in the thick of the battle, serving and loving the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me just maybe back my way into the sermon today. Let's begin with good news people and what do they look like? Look back at verse number one. So it says, Peter, and now of course he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And uh, there is only one time in the entire New Testament or each time it is used in the, in the New Testament where it says of Jesus Christ, it is only in reference to an 
an apostle's work. And the apostle here means a sent out one, but it not only means a sent out one in this context, it means those original authors that actually saw and experienced and lived and were with Jesus Christ. So he says here, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and that not only has a humility that goes along with it, that he was a, uh, an apostle or one sent out by Christ, but it also carries an authority with it that we should listen to the words of Peter as it is the words of Scripture, as it is the very words of the living God. And then look at the audience that he writes to, the good news kind of people. He says, to those who reside as aliens, and the word there in the, in the English is sojourners, right? A pilgrim. And in fact, the, uh, the, the Greek word is actually two Greek words together that are kind of fused together, and it means to come alongside and settle down. And so what he's saying here is, hey, Peter, and I'm writing to you as sojourners, as pilgrims. You've, you've not made it home to heaven yet. Your home is in heaven. Your home is with God. But you have come alongside unbelievers in a world, and you have settled down in the world, settling down alongside of unbelieving neighbors and friends and co-workers. You are to live as an alien or a sojourner in this world, but you're to do so alongside of unbelievers. Good news kind of people are not just those that say, my home is in heaven and I can't wait for Jesus to get back. I'm so homesick for heaven. Listen, if you're so homesick for heaven, then start praying for cancer, right? Listen, what you need to do is say, no, I need to live into the world that God has placed me. I need to be right where God wants me to be. And if I am an alien, if I am a sojourner, if I am a pilgrim, I am to settle down alongside of unbelieving people in this world and to be the gospel testimony, the good news kind of Christians that God has called us to be in the world. It is not just hold on and hold out and, and the, the world's going to hell in a handbasket and Jesus has taken me home to heaven. No, what God wants you to do is reach out and live alongside of your unbelieving neighbors and share the truth of the gospel with them. Good news kind of people are sojourners, pilgrims that have settled down alongside of unbelievers. But not only that, it says here that they are scattered. Do you see that? It says to those who reside as aliens, and some of your versions will say scattered or uh, an older word of those of the diaspora, right? Uh, the, uh, it just simply means to be scattered or to push through. But here's the, here's the wonderful thing about this text. God, there's really a play on words here. So those who reside as sojourners, sojourners, scattered, and the word for scatter means to sow through, to sow through, like to sow seed. And so brothers and sisters, here's what God is doing. He's playing a little word game with them, and he's saying, listen, what I've called you to do is to sow the seed of the gospel everywhere you go uh, for unbelievers and what I've actually done with your life is scatter you into Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and to the ends of the earth. And so what it is, God says, what I've done with your life, that's what I want you to do with the gospel. And so you think about your different zip codes that you live in and your little neighborhoods and subdivisions and apartment complexes. And everywhere that you live, God has come alongside of you. And as a good news kind of believer, you're not only settling down beside unbelievers, but you are to share the gospel and sow the good seed of the good news of Jesus Christ. Everywhere you go and everywhere you live and everywhere you work and everywhere you shop, God wants you to be the kind of believer that is actually acting 
actively sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. He says in this passage that we are good news kind of Christians, that we settle down alongside of unbelievers. You wouldn't believe how many Christian people just like to gather in Christian circles. We dare not put our kids into a, uh, uh, into a basketball league that uh, has unbelieving kids in it. So we'll, what we'll do is just start our own Christian basketball league. We dare not let our children play at the playground with unbelieving children, so we'll just take them somewhere where only believing children are. We dare not go to ball games with unbelievers. We dare not invite our neighbors into our house, so what we'll do is join 15 million kinds of Bible studies. Man, this is a really hard sermon to preach. So y'all love me and at least smile a little bit, okay? I'm not against Christian basketball, not against Christian organizations. What I am saying is, I, I think maybe we might have turned in on ourselves inadvertently. You see, it seems to me what God wants us to do is to realize that our home is in heaven and that we don't have a long time here. And God has kind of scattered us abroad in the city. And I think what God wants us to do is to go about in our daily lives praying and looking for opportunities to share Jesus with people. At the very minimum, I think God wants us to be the kind of folks that look for and actively try and invite people to come to church. If you're scared to death that you can't share the gospel accurately, two things. One, I want you to know you can and that Jesus is always with you. But if you're not up to that, I think God has placed a call on your life to be a pilgrim, to be a sojourner, but to be scattered abroad and bringing as many people as you can every Sunday to hear the gospel message about how Jesus saves. And I just want to ask yourself, uh, you to ask yourself, does this sermon apply to you? The joy and the goodness and the comfort that's about to come in this passage, is it for you? Earlier this week, I got under deep conviction in my own heart, and it was like God was saying, you know, Steve, before you preach this Sunday, I'm going to have to do a little heart work on you. And counseling and doing these and doing this and doing this, and I've got to do a whole bunch of pastoral work. That's a part of it. It just comes with the territory. But first and foremost, God has called me not to be a pastor. He's called me to be a believer that shares the gospel with unbelievers. That's it. That's, that's the purpose that every believer has. Is that what Jesus said right before he went to heaven? All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you all the way, even to the end of the age. That's what Jesus' last command was. Yes, we've got to counsel. Yes, we've got to do music. Yes, we've got all kinds of things. We've got to train our children, love our families. But first and foremost, God has called me to glorify Him by following Him and making disciples of other people. Are you involved in that? You, you see, because, I, man, I, earlier this week, in fact, I, I had already worked out, this is, this is kind of like cathartic for me and a sermon together with family, okay? So I'm not judging you, we're just all working together. I had already worked out a whole introduction to the sermon. Now, there's this, there's this uh, old song that says, does Jesus care? Oh, yes, he cares. Do y'all know that song? All right, well, it was great. I was going to read the lyrics. Does Jesus care for me? Oh, yes, he cares. And then the longer I got, it was like Jesus kept whispering in my heart, you know, really, that's a terrible introduction. 
Because yes, I love everybody, and yes, I love believers, and yes, I'm going to take care of you and all of that, but that's not what the comfort is in this passage. It's not just for every believer, it's for the believers that are actually scattered abroad in a harsh and unwelcoming society that are trying every day of their life to find somebody to share the truth with. That's where the encouragement's for. And I was like, oh, really? Because this is a great introduction, God. I'm serious. This is, good. This is going to get them. I had to change everything Friday evening. It's hard to change introductions when you're like burping one baby and trying to keep the other from tearing the blinds apart. I'm just telling you for further notice. But I want to preach it right. And I feel like maybe today, maybe you should just ask yourself that along the way. Lord, I had asked myself, Lord, is this, is this comfort for me? Is, is this for me? Am I actually, in my life, looking for weekly opportunities to open my mouth and invite somebody who's an unbeliever to come to church or to just say, hey, listen, can I share something with you? Do you do that? This comfort is for those who are not just believers, but who are actually scattered abroad, sojourners, sharing the gospel. Now let me give you a little bit of the comfort from the passage. Not only to that, but look what it says here. It says that these good news people are sojourners, right? They're settling along beside unbelievers, that they're scattered, they're sowing the gospel through. And then it says that they are they're the chosen ones, right? And this is that the king of glory, the, the king of the universe has chosen to be chosen his own people and to benefit from his protection and the inhabitants of the heavenly kingdom. And so he says here in this verse, he says to those who reside as aliens or sojourners, you're scattered abroad in these areas. And then he ends verse number one by saying, you're chosen. And actually, in the original language, the word chosen is the very first part of this, that you are chosen sojourners that are scattered. That's the way it reads. He says here that you are a chosen people of God. And now I just need to take a little aside. I played, uh, several people have been praying for me. I just need to address the elephant in the room, and then we'll kind of get back to the encouragement. This issue of chosenness, we can't avoid it. We want to talk for a minute about, uh, the, take a deep breath. Does that mean, are we Calvinists? Are we Calvinist or are we Arminian or what are we and how do we work through this idea of God's chosenness but human responsibility? So let me just, uh, let me just back up for a minute and give us some clarity on this and then I'll give you maybe a, a, a few thoughts on it. When you see here where he says that you're the chosen, here's what I want you to begin by thinking. Instead of thinking about Calvinism and Arminianism, and if you're here today and you're like, ah, I don't even care about any of that, here's where I want you to back up and think about. When he says the word chosen, he goes all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy, and he applies to these Gentile believers the title that was given to the nation of Israel as God's chosen people. In fact, this book is written to Gentile believers. If you don't believe me, just go home and read verse 18 of chapter 1, chapter 2, verse number 10, and chapter 4, verse number 3. The book of 1 Peter is written to Gentile believers, and now he gives to these Gentile believers the title of God's chosen people. And just think about it. Who's the one that's authoring this book? It's the knucklehead that God had to bring down a sheet from heaven and beat him over the head to get him to like Gentile people. 
Irony of all ironies, Peter only likes Jewish people, and God makes him write a letter to a bunch of Gentiles that says, can't you see his teeth gritting? You're chosen too. Right? Now I want you to think with me for a minute before I kind of dabble and work a little bit here on uh, kind of an aside in the sermon. Maybe all of us in this room, wherever you land on this issue of being chosen by God, maybe you ought to begin with this. God in the Old Testament chose the nation of Israel to be the progenitors and the carriers of the gospel message of the coming Messiah to all the nations. And do you know what they did as God's chosen people? They turned on in on themselves. They didn't share it with anybody else. And in fact, they said, the rest of the world are a bunch of dogs. It's us four and no more. And when Jesus came on the scene, they rejected the Messiah they were supposed to receive. And Jesus said, I've taken the keys of the kingdom from you, and I've opened it up to the rest of the world. Now watch me. Watch. Peter comes along in 1 Peter and he says to all these Gentile believers, you're the chosen. But now listen. If you have been chosen by the good will of God and you never share the gospel with an unbeliever, are you any better than the Old Testament Israelites who prided themselves in being the chosen people of God and never shared the truth. The issue in this text is not for us to run around and say, I'm chosen, you're not. The issue in this text is for everyone in this room who is a believer to humble themselves and say, by the mercy of God, He has poured His love into my life. And what I am responsible to do is to take this message of God's good salvation to every man, woman, boy, and girl I can ever come into contact with that they too might be a part of the chosen people of God because they trust in the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. So with that being said, this is kind of a little, uh, give me just a few minutes. This is a, 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 just some helpful tips on how to think through this. And then I'll give you where I stand and we'll move, we'll move on a little bit, okay? So um, when we talk about uh, this idea of our chosenness or election or predestination and all of these kinds of issues, here are, uh, let, me give you, let me give you four or five things to keep in mind, all right? And you just keep some notes here. Number one, if your view of salvation causes you to be a jerk, you do not understand salvation. Do you understand what I'm saying? If your viewpoint, if your theology causes you to be an absolute jerk about things, then you do not understand the biblical understanding of salvation. And I have met people on one end, and brothers and sisters, I speak, <laughs> I speak from having experience with this. I was one on one end of the pendulum. I swung the pendulum all the way to the other side, and I lived there for a while. And praise God, somewhere I've come into the middle and trying to find some synthesis on some of this. But I have met brothers and sisters who were dyed in the wool, five-point or seven-point Calvinists, and they, I mean, and they just felt like they had the, uh, they condescended to everybody, and that they knew the Bible better and everybody, and we're chosen and you're not. And I just want you to understand that's a bunch of hogwash. 
I've also known people on the other side that were so mean and ignorant and they would say, you know what, those bunch of Calvinists, they don't even believe in evangelism. Well, that's the most ignorant thing you could say because in the last 500 years, the, 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 the most evangelistic uh, um, enterprise in Christendom has come mostly through Calvinistic preachers. Guys like George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards and uh, Charles Spurgeon and th these kinds of folks. So it's not that all of them are not evangelical or evangelists. If your viewpoint causes you to be a jerk, back up and learn some more. Number two, if you don't think that your side has holes in it, you've not studied long enough nor fairly enough. If you think that you have an ironclad case for your standpoint on election and predestination and, and you just have the final say, brothers and sisters, you're just ignorant. You've not studied long enough nor fairly enough. Because this conversation in Christianity has been going along for a long time with really smart brothers and sisters on both sides that have been working through it, right? So recognize, you know what? Mm, I think I have a good argument here but I'm probably sure there's some holes in here somewhere. Number three, your understanding should give maximum glory to God while not violating the responsibility of human beings. That's what we're after. However you understand God's saving work, Right, And I know some of you already checked out on me, but for those of you that want to learn, trying to help you. I'm trying to work with this a little bit because this is going to come up in your life. Right? You want to work at a system that tries to bring the maximum glory to God for salvation without violating the human responsibility to believe on Jesus Christ. Okay? Number four. Let the text that you are reading drive the meaning and humble yourself to its teaching. Uh, I, know some, I know some Arminians or some folks that, you know, they, they shy very much away from chosenness, predestination, uh, election, all this kind of stuff. And when they read a text like this, they, and some of them, they don't even read this kind of text that we're dealing with today. They just kind of slide right on about, hey, listen, don't do that. When you read a text like today where it says you're aliens and sojourners and you are the chosen of God, what you need to do is humble your own system and rejoice and say God is completely sovereign and powerful and in some divine way He is in control of all things. And if that grates you on the inside, then humble yourself and say this text today teaches me that God is in control. Likewise, I've known brothers and sisters who were Calvinists that tried to read John 3.16 four ways from Sunday and do hermeneutical gymnastics to get that to say anything beside that God loves the world. If you're a Calvinist in here today and you love election and predestination and you can't get enough R.C. Sproul, brothers and sisters, when you read John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. What you need to do is set your system to the side, come to that verse and say, praise God in some capacity. Every human being in the world has to make a decision to trust Christ or not trust Him. And rejoice in that. Alright? Number five. 
Don't use mystery as an excuse. Use it as a reminder of your own limitations. So, for instance, I'll know some brothers and sisters, and they'll say, well, we can't ever get it figured out, so I'm just never going to learn about it. No, that's just being ignorant. What you ought to do is spend a lifetime humbly trying to read and understand Scripture, read good books, learn from other people that hold different views, and work through that, worship through that, learn what God is doing, learn the responsibility of you. Just keep on studying it. Don't just cast it off. It's a mystery. Nobody can understand it, so I'm not going to learn it. Don't do that. Use the divine mystery as a limitation of you. So what I mean is, after you've studied and after you've read until you're blue in the face and after you've poured through this for year after year after year, just remind yourself that in some special way, you're never going to have the last say on it. And God is God and His ways are a little bit higher than ours. Amen? Doesn't mean I don't study. Just simply means that I use it as a self-limitation to say, in, in my lifetime, I'm probably not going to get everything there is to get on this subject. Now, one dear brother in this church, I love him. He loves me back. He says, you know, Pastor, sometimes with these, uh, sometimes with these uh, volatile issues, you're so good at facilitating discussion and talking, but you never quite come out and tell us exactly where you land on that. So this past week, I thought, you know what? After eight years, I think point number six, I'll just tell you where I land on it, but nobody's going to be happy. Are you ready? You might want to write this point down. There is a position called divine tension. I'm going to give you three or four ways to refer to it so you can Google it when you get bored in the sermon in a few minutes, okay? Divine tension, divine ambiguity, divine antimony. Everybody like, antima what? Right? Start speaking in tongues again. Divine antimony, divine ambiguity, uh, or divine tension. I like that phrase, divine tension because it's easy for everybody to understand, okay? This is, a, this is a true position, this is a good position, and there are many that take this, uh, guys like J.I. Packer, who lean more on a, a reform spectrum, he takes this position. Guys like D.A. Carson, uh, they take this kind of position. And here's simply, here's simply what we mean, all right? And that means that I hold both God's sovereignty and human responsibility to be equally taught in Scripture and I'm okay with holding them in tension. In fact, the authors of the Bible hold both of those positions at the exact same time and sometimes in the exact same verse, Acts 2.23, and never get in an argument about it. And so what I, what I understand is that the Scripture teaches that God is completely sovereign, that He is in control, that He is calling out for Himself a people, and at the exact same time, I understand that every human being in the world has the responsibility to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you, when you come to this church, you figured out over the last eight years, when I'm in John 3.16, I preach a whosoever will salvation. When I'm in 1 Peter chapter number 1, I'm going to tell you that you better humble yourself and realize that God is the one who is electing and calling to Himself His people. So that's the position I hold. You say, man, that sounds like a politician. Well, I'm sorry. 
In most issues, here's when I know I'm right, when both sides are mad at you. <laughs> and that's pretty much true in a lot of different areas, not just religion, okay? I just think that you better be careful, and you better think. And, and listen, the, the rules that I gave you here will help you think. I, I'm okay if you come down and you say, man, I, I'm, I lean more on a Calvinistic position. I, I see God's sovereignty. And, you know, hey, listen, wonderful. Just don't be a jerk about it, all right? And, and realize that there's holes in your argument. And let's all get on the same mission here, all right? Now, that was just an aside in the sermon. Let me see if I can get back to what we were talking about. Uh, good, uh, good news kind of people are those who are sojourners, but you settle down and you're scattering the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere you go. Now, let me give you good news in just a couple of minutes from this. Look down, if you would, at verse number 2. And we are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Some of your translations will move the word chosen into verse number 2. Some of you have that at the end of verse number 1. Here's something interesting that I think will help you. When it says that we are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, here's, here's what, I, what the text is actually saying. Don't narrow it into just your salvation. The Apostle Peter is writing to chosen sojourners that have been scattered abroad in a harsh and condemning society. And it's with that backdrop that God says in verse number 2 that all of this, not just your salvation, but your pilgrimage and your efforts in the gospel and the harsh society that you live in, the entire setting of your life is according to the foreknowledge and the wisdom of an almighty God. Amen? So brothers and sisters, the encouragement to take here today is wherever you are in life, whatever circumstances you are going through, in so much that you are trying to be a faithful, good news kind of believer, share the gospel, give the word, see people come to faith in Christ, live on mission with Jesus Christ, in so much as you're doing that, no matter what's going on at work, no matter what's going on with your family, no matter what's going on in the world or the society that you live in, it is all in the foreknowledge and the wisdom of an almighty God and he is in control. It's only good news for you if you're the kind of Christian that's actually suffering a little bit because you're trying to witness a little bit. Don't you see that? You see where I came to this week? I guess in a sense, it's good news if you're just kind of piddling along in life waiting for Jesus to come back. But it's like somebody handing you a Stradivarius and all you want to do is play Mary Had a Little Lamb. The chosenness and the foreknowledge and the wisdom of God in your life will have rich and meaningful impact on you. If you wake up tomorrow and you say, you know what, I'm a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church. I've got the next six days Lord, bring somebody into my life who's an unbeliever 
who I can either invite to come to church with me or I can tell them my testimony about how Jesus saved me or I can share a piece of good literature with them or I can begin a relationship with them and bring them toward Christ in so much that you want to be that kind or you reach out to your neighbor or you hold a Bible study in your home or you invite lost people in your in so much that you start to actually do what this verse says in verse number one. That's when the rich, meaningful power of an awesome, incredible, all-knowing, powerful God comes into being. Because what will happen is, if you pray that way, God will bring people into your life. God will put you in scenarios where you can share the gospel. God will bring you into situations where you will face persecution and people will talk about you. You will see some of the life drain from you and you'll need the power of God in your life. You will need His all-encompassing wisdom and you'll see Him as good as never before, but only if you're actually living for Him. Number two, look back at verse number two. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And then you might have something that says, by or in the sanctifying work of the Spirit of God. What I want you to understand is the sanctifying work of the Spirit is not in reference to salvation. See, God's foreknowledge is in reference to our past salvation. The sanctifying work of the Spirit of God is in our present salvation. You see, brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus Christ has sent His Spirit into the world to live in every believer so that He might assist us. And the word sanctify simply means to grow in grace, to become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And so if you are in here today and you are not living the kind of life where you say, I want to live for Jesus, I want to give Him my all, I want to get rid of these sin, and I want to get closer to Him, I want to be sweeter and kinder and more loving, I want to be like Jesus with all of my heart, unless you're living that way, then it won't bless you to know that the Spirit of God walks alongside of you every day, sanctifying you and helping you and producing fruit in your life. He is the one that is helping us along the way. But if you're just skipping through life as a believer, longing for heaven, you'll never know the enjoyment of the Spirit of God working His power in your present life. The reason why you're bored with church and the reason why you're bored with Christianity is not because Christianity is boring or not because there's not adventure in it. It is because you don't actually put it into life practice. But I assure you, if you leave here today with a burning in your soul that says, I want to share the gospel, I want to get rid of sin, I want to live close to Jesus, I want to be a better man, a better woman, a better boy, a better girl, I want to walk with Christ all the days of my life, I assure you, if you wake up with a burning in your belly tomorrow and you plead for the help of the Spirit of God to transform you from the inside out, He will do it and you'll know it like never before. But if you don't live that way, you won't experience the Spirit's power and you'll walk along like you might be here today and say, yeah, that sounds good. That's a beautiful instrument, isn't it? That Steinway is incredible. I guess I'm giving free plugs for Steinway today. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there's a better piano. It'd be like Tim Perry and I. We go to, maybe we go to a golf shop and we're looking at golf clubs. And Tim plays golf, and he's very good at it. We went to play golf one time, and he picked me up, and I had basketball shorts on and basketball shoes. 
And I got bored by hole four and I was just kind of messing with the cart and he's like, oh, sweet Jesus, don't wreck us. I'm not a golfer. We go to a golf shop. He looks at a golf club. I look at a golf club. He sees the invaluable power of a wonderfully made shaft and the, and the head and the titanium and all that's there and how far it can go. I see a stick that's oddly shaped. Why? Because I don't live the golf life. You know why? The knowledge of God and the sanctifying work of the Spirit and the obedience of Christ pass over you today like, oh yeah, that's another sermon. Because you didn't come in here today weary from a long week of trying everything you can to live for Him and share the gospel. Some of you did. Some of us didn't. This week I needed repentance. One last thought. Look at verse number two. In the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And then look, it's to or toward the obedience of Jesus Christ and the sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be yours to the fullest measure. Here's what it means. So... You see how the Trinity is involved in, our, in the whole life, right? In the foreknowledge of God the Father. Our salvation is accomplished in Him. The sanctifying work of the Spirit. The present work of salvation. Growing in grace every day. And what is the future? What, what are we pushing toward with our lives? The obedience of Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of His blood. Here's what it means. It means that we obey in the sphere of God's forgiveness. Let me explain that real quickly to you. What God wants us to do is to be obedient in our lives every Every day toward Jesus Christ. He not only died for us, He gave us the life in which we should live. Follow after Jesus Christ. Just obey Him. Jesus said that, uh, that His burden is, uh, is light and uh, we get Him there with Him. We are to follow Jesus every day of our life. The obedience of Jesus Christ. And you see where it says, and the sprinkling of the blood? And that was in the Old Testament for lepers, not just to be cleansed totally, but purified daily through the forgiveness. And once they've been purified, they could run back into the town yelling that they were clean, that they were clean. And that's what Jesus does for us. And so when you leave here today, the goal of your life is to be obedient to Jesus. But thank God you get to do that in the sphere of forgiveness. And so if you get about 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon and you're like, I haven't even thought about Jesus, I haven't shared the gospel, I still did some of the same sins, aren't you glad that the grace of Jesus and His blood, just go to Him right then, He forgives us and cleanses us of all of our sin, and then you just get up the next day and say, Lord, I want to be obedient to You. Teach me why I couldn't do that yesterday. Help me to do it today. I want to live for You. And you do so in a joyous way because His grace and forgiveness is real. You're not trying to be, be, be obedient to win God's favor. You're being obedient out of gratitude for what He's already done. Isn't it a, isn't it a good thought to think that you wake up tomorrow and you're going to try and live for Jesus and you know you're going to mess up? You know you're going to mess up, right? Okay. But that there's forgiveness. And if you're in this room today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's forgiveness for you as well. And God would love nothing more than for you to bow the knee of your heart and receive Him as your Lord and Savior, become one of the chosen people in His great kingdom, 
And let the Spirit of God help you to follow Jesus all the days of your life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm not sure how much you've been able to pray this week. But maybe right now, I really hope, I was praying early this morning that this sermon would be both convicting and encouraging for all of us. If you're in here today, and man, you're working the best that you can to serve Jesus and scatter the seed and bring people to church and share the gospel and live a faithful life, more power to you. God loves you. Listen, you're forgiven. Just keep doing what you're doing and the Spirit's going to help you. Praise God for you. If you're in here this morning, maybe you find yourself like Pastor Steve this week. I've been really busy with a lot of things. I'm not sure I've invited anybody to come to church or shared my testimony or given a gospel track in, in a while. Oh, why don't you just reorder your life right now? I don't care whether you're 70, 80, 10, 12. The purpose of your life is to glorify God by making disciples of all people. Why don't you just pray right now? Say, Lord, will you bring somebody my way this week? Will you open my eyes to the unbelievers that I come into contact with? Help me to equip myself with a card in my purse or in my wallet. Help me not to let an opportunity pass. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, He's so sweet and kind. And in God's marvelous wisdom, He brought you here today. He knew before time ever began that you'd sit right here today. And His Son died for you and rose again. And if you'll ask Him to save you, He will. And not only will He save you, He'll continue forgiving you, and He'll give you His Spirit to help you all the days of your life to learn to be like Him. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.